breaking news. Tickets for the Conference on Religious Trauma, Court 2023, are now available. Also, if you're interested in an ad-free version of the Divorce and Religion podcast, come join me over on Patreon. Links for both are in the show notes. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Divorcing Religion podcast. I'm your host, Janice Selby. I'm a registered professional counselor and a religious recovery consultant. And I am delighted today, absolutely tickled, to have Troy and Brian joining me from Australia. And they are the hosts of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast. It's so exciting. Thanks for joining me here in Canada. Well, at least I'm in Canada. Yeah, good day, eh? Good to see you. Oh. <laughs> if you're going to say that, I'm going to I'm gonna say, uh, put another shrimp on the barbie, mate. <laughs> oh, well, that, that, that was quite good. Um, and, and that that saying was so catered to the American audience because we don't call them shrimps here, obviously. What, it's, what do you uh, call them? We call them prawns. Yeah. Oh, uh, they the proper way. Pro- oh, yes, the proper way. <laughs> and, and, and it's fairly rare, Janice, to... Uh, to call the uh, things proper in Australia because we we do, as many of your listeners I'm sure would know that we shorten names and we lengthen names. We never call someone their real name. So if they're oh. Peter, they're they're Pete. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's just yeah, so you'd probably be Selbs. We'd call you Selbs. All right, Would it be Jano? Do you put O on things? We, we we do definitely do that sometimes. So you could be Jano. Um, do, uh, do you? Oh, Jan. Jan is obviously that's that's pretty mm-hmm. standard. But no, we could make you Jano. So thank you, oh, Jano. Wow. <laughs> now I really want to get over and and visit you guys, and I want to stop in and see uh, my friend Dr. Josie McSkimming because she has also been a guest, and she will be speaking at the conference on religious trauma um, in October. But what I want to know from you guys is how on earth did you end up doing this podcast? And it's such a successful podcast, just growing and growing um, all the time. You both come out of uh, evangelical backgrounds, I believe, and I think even pastors. Is that correct? Wow. Yeah, well, that's that's right, Jano. But really, it's the favor of the Lord, the the, <laughs> the face of God shone upon us and expanded expanded the the covering of our tent. And you know, due to our ongoing tithing, you know, we we, we regularly tithe audience to other podcasts, and we get it back tenfold. And I would say that's pretty much why our podcast is where it is today. <laughs> you've been you've been blessed, brother. That's right, Selbs. That's it. Press down, shaken together. And and just to be clear, Troy was a pastor. I wasn't. I was on the road to it. I was, um, you know, did the Bible college thing, was a a leader in the church. I was definitely pegged for for pastorhood, if that is the correct term. And no doubt would have been a far better pastor. And I don't mean that from a, a, you know, a negative pejorative sense. I mean, he would have just been a better person in that role because he's he's good, he's better with people, whereas I would have just crushed them, destroyed them and and hurt them. Which which would have made me a good pastor too. <laughs> it would have made you a successful pastor. But I think you're actually um you're taking that a bit far, Troy. You would have been a great pastor. But better 
evangelist, I think, because that, and, and Troy hates it when I say this, but it's true. He's an incredible evangelist for whatever he does. So it doesn't have to be anything to do with religion. Like at the moment, it's actually not. It's about the podcast. He'll evangelize the podcast. He's amazing <laughs> at it. He's, you know, his work that he does, he will evangelize it. He's passionate about what he does. Is he zealous? He is a zealot. Oh, yeah. He's absolutely I'm a zealot for sure. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And and this is where where yin and yang. Because I that wasn't me. I wasn't the evangelist. I was actually really really embarrassed about being a Christian. Incredibly embarrassed. Were and you? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I didn't want to win people to the Lord. I I just because very early on I actually let go of the concept of hell, a literal hell. Um, I just, I just thought that was rubbish because I had to jettison that because if I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to believe in God because I was thinking I could not believe in an asshole who does that, who casts people to that place. So I, that's why I got rid of it early. But I think I also, part of it was, it was self-serving because if I didn't believe in that, then there wasn't an urgency for me to pe- to win people to to Jesus because that let me off the hook and it meant that I didn't have to face my embarrassment and embarrassment. So uh, I don't know. I, I'm a complex human and I think I will always remain complex. And Troy will always remain the evangelist and the zealot. So so really, Brian, you were kind of a sucky Christian. You weren't a very good Christian then. You weren't. You didn't feel like you had to be evangelizing people. You didn't believe in hell. Oh, I was shit. I was the worst of the worst Christians. <laughs> and uh, I faked it till I made it. And, you know, I could have made it. I think I could have made it all the way without any problem. But there was so much disconnect and there was too many workarounds for me just trying to make this thing work. And I, I left Christianity in my head and heart. 10 years before my feet had me walking out the door, I just tried to convince myself that I believed what I believed. And I hung on to so many little bits and pieces. It was barely a framework of what Christianity would or should have been. And You were were PIMO, physically and mentally out. Good old PIMO. I was absolutely PIMO. And again, now I think it's, you know, we spoke about this when we interviewed you on our podcast. I, I couldn't leave. It was my community. It was my people. It was my safety. So I, I hung about for longer than I should have, really. But um, the great thing is my, my kids didn't really grow up in it. They were, one was a tween and the other one was a teen when we completely left and I've had conversations with them both and they don't believe they were affected negatively. Neither of them have followed a a Christian path. Um, I had those children with my ex-wife. She's very, very much a Christian and um, very fundamentalist, but certainly the kids aren't. So I see that as a bit of a win. Yeah. A win <laughs> no for the heathens. Kidding. No <laughs> kidding. You know, I had my my uh, daughters over the other night, and they're both in their uh, well into their middle twenties now. <laughs> my one kid said, "Mom, do you remember when you didn't let us say adorable because only Jesus was worthy of adoration?" <laughs> and I rolled my eyes. I said, "Yes, unfortunately, I do remember that." But oh yeah, there's lots of embarrassing things like that. I don't know if that's the case for either of you. 
I think a big part for you with your kids though, Brian, was you were very progressive and in a very progressive space while they were sort of at an age of understanding to use a Christian term. So I think they were sort of spared a lot of the fundamentalist impact. Oh yeah. I, ne- I never took my kids to a fundamentalist church. So they were born when I was in a very progressive space. So that was, yeah, that was definitely very different, you know, gay affirming and whatever before they were born. So it, it just, you're right. They, I didn't bring them up in real Christianity, did I? <laughs> Christianity late. <laughs> That's right. How about you, Troy? I, I don't even remember what the actual question was. I'm sorry. What, <laughs> what, what was the original question? I'm wondering uh, what it was like when you left um, Christianity, because you had been pretty heavily invested in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, as as Brian said, I was a pastor. Technically, I was a pastor in training in the sense that my credential was never f- fully uh, uh granted it was you know it was in process and I I withdrew it there was never anything sort of disciplinary or anything going on I just realized this wasn't working for me in the denomination and I I sort of walked away but I had two serious bouts of fundamentalism and one was in a group called the Revival Centers International which is very similar to oneness Pentecostalism groups in the US mm-hmm. in that you had to believe in speaking in tongues or you had to speak in tongues to be saved was mm-hmm. a, was a big point for them. Um, I left that group. Actually, I was excommunicated for having sex. My story was that I realized that they were not good, but I was so fearful of leaving that I knew what it took to get kicked out. So I went and had sex with a girl, dobbed myself in, as we say in Australia, or turned myself in, and then they kicked me out. But being 17, I hadn't really expected, you know, I had this foolproof foolproof plan that Jesus was going to come back and say, it's all right, Troy, you didn't leave the one true church. They kicked you out. But of course, they had all the doors bolted. And so as I was leaving, or as they were kicking me out, they said, by the way, you've lost your salvation forever. And so that actually (sighs) brought me to this deep place of fear about Mm -hmm. my eternal salvation. And just even still to this day, my my issues with authority or being excluded from groups, um, uh, you know, I can I can turn into an absolute mess when this kind of stuff happens. So there was that, and then I went out, did the in, in air quotes worldly thing, you know, drinking, smoking, partying, clubbing, etc. Some substances may or may not have been legal. I then scared myself, I guess, into where I was heading with all that and ended up joining the Assemblies of God in Australia, which is now called the Australian Christian Churches. Um, If you know of Hillsong, Hillsong also sprang from that. Hillsong as a group was still part of the Assemblies of God in, Mm -hmm. in, in the time that we were there, and that's where Brian and I connected. And so I had a very real fear of hell, a very real belief, and I think because of what had happened to me, I always worried that if I actually doubted hell, I was possibly just doing that from an impure motive rather than it, just so much you can hear it, Janice, you know, I could probably pay you for therapy. So <laughs> so, th- so that was me. And then I went the pastor road and, and et cetera and then got to the point where I realised that the Assemblies of God was not much better than the revival centers. And then I sort of went to a more classic evangelical space. And then eventually my my marriage, my religion, everything just fell apart. So I joined the 
Revival Centres in 1984. I finally walked away from church in 1999. So this is a long time and these are all my teenage years and my, mm-hmm. my, my 20s, very formative years. And then I really came to a point of unbelief where I said it out loud that I don't believe. And, I mean, it was just, you know, it was dramatic. That was probably around 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. where I actually said, I don't believe this anymore. And so, yeah, my my story is far more, and I don't say this to be competitive with Brian because he would have made a better pastor. My story is far more traumatic, I think, than, than mm-hmm. his. Um, and I don't say that with any pride. I'd rather swap, you know, I really would. So that that brings balance to our podcast, I think, because in some ways Brian can bring a, uh, more of an objective perspective at times, mm-hmm. if that's even possible, and I just come with my, oh, fucking trauma. <laughs> well, tell me, how how did your kids handle it then? Like you're, if your marriage and your faith kind of dissolved uh, at the same time, where how old were your kids? How did that all go down? Well, I was lucky. I only had a start of marriage, so we never mm-hmm. had kids. Mm-hmm. So my ex-wife, she was a pastor's daughter, and mm. she has her own shit, which she can mm-hmm. start her own pod- podcast one day. I won't speak <laughs> to right. her, but, but she has her own her own saga and her own journey. So we actually split well before we had kids. So I am now remarried to a woman that was has never been a Christian, and I have kids. To be honest, I think my kids have watched me sometimes pendulum back and forth in my rejection of things spiritual, acceptance of things spiritual, again, rejection of, you know. So they were brought up saying, Dad, do we believe in God? No, we believe in the flying spaghetti monster. And I would just give them all the atheist rhetoric and and it was great. And so, you know, but I would very much say to them, if you want to explore, that's that's your choice. You go and have a look. But, you know, you've got to tell them appropriate stories for, for little kids. You know, I can't say daddy was kicked out of a, a religious cult for having sex with a woman. You know how it is. So I think my kids have been impacted to some degree with seeing me sort of go backwards and forwards, but that may not be such a big deal. I think when my mother died, there was a snapping back towards looking for some sort of support and some sort of mm-hmm. belief for for one, not wanting to let her go, you know. So mm-hmm. they saw that as well. Um, but no, they've they've never been. I I don't believe anyway that they've ever been messed up. I think if I pay pay for therapy for my children, it's going to be for very different issues than than religion. <laughs> Well, time will tell. <laughs> you may you may find out down the road. You know, I for some reason was just reminded as uh, I was I was listening to, oh yes, how you've been religious and then you're not religious and then sometimes that pendulum is still going on. I recently attended uh, our Pride event in our local city here, and I consider myself a member, the B member of that LGBTQ um, community, and uh, I brought my husband with me it was his first time this is a this is a new husband this is not the husband that was in bible college uh with me before so anyway we attended uh and i had a booth at this pride event and i was offering de-baptisms and it was so much fun i did it in conjunction with my local uh skeptics and atheists uh group and oh my gosh we just had a great time and i had no idea how many people would really 
want to be in on that at the at the pride event so we'll make sure we do that again next year and people for some people it seemed serious and for some they just laughed their their way through it but i tell you religion leaves a mark oh hell yeah and there's a special place in hell for you too janice (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. It's even on video, me doing some of the, the, the de-baptism. How, how do you de-baptize them? Do you, just, do you just dry them or something, right? Is it just like, we'll just dry you off rather than soak you? And was well, it was it unbaptizing by full immersion? Because that's the only real baptism, right? <laughs> how, can we, how can we do that? We didn't have power to our booths. There wasn't electricity. So what we did instead was had a bubble gun you know, like blowing bubbles, like a bubble wand on the person. So I'm, I'm reading, uh, that, that we are debaptizing them and cleansing them and they have to follow the things I'm saying, you know, in the name of logic and love and liberty, uh, I now declare you free. You've been unbaptized or debaptized. And then I had a friend there who had this bell and she would ring the bell so loud every time someone got uh, debaptized. So that would draw a lot of attention. And so people were very interested in that. But I have also been at events where they used a blow dry to debaptize people. Yeah, that's what I envisioned actually. I thought you could use a blow dryer. Yeah, so yeah, Satan moves in mysterious ways for sure. <laughs> you know, one of the the things that I do uh with my folks who are going through the divorcing religion workshop is I actually have written up a mock separation agreement and people go through and this is a, a piece of paper and it's uh you know saying that they are now separating from such and such religion uh, that they were a part of for however many years. Um, I feel like it's important for people to actually have something concrete like that because so many of us were indoctrinated in childhood, which is just wrong. It is wrong you, it, to, to force or encourage a child who doesn't even have the ability to think critically to make a contract, a celestial contract, like a forever, I'm going to be this forever. No, that's, that's not acceptable or appropriate to put that kind of pressure on a child or on a teen who is in the throes of hormones and peer pressure, uh, you know, Jesus camp type stuff. Um, that's also not acceptable. They're, they're not ready and they haven't had the opportunity to really think through without this pressure whether or not they want to commit their entire life to uh, these stories. So I feel strongly about that. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, look, we've had, um, we've had someone on our show who... Hillsong here, and I'm sure that Pentecostal churches all around the world do the same, is that they infiltrate schools. And in fact, that's how Troy became involved in his first cult, was he was drawn in through his school. So we have some very passionate people here about stopping particularly Hillsong in schools. Hillsong has a, a, a key focus which many other churches do, don't don't get me wrong, but there's campaigns to stop them coming in and, and basically recruiting kids. And they do this, they make it fun. They make yeah, it, it was pancakes and music or something. They're not running religious programs. They're just doing outreach programs, as we would have called it once upon a time. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And, and look, I, I actually had a personal experience of this 
about six weeks ago. So I've got two stepsons and the oldest one, he's almost 17, came home with a friend and, you know, a friend that's been here quite a bit and, a, and another friend saying, hey, we've been invited tonight to youth. And I was like, oh. what the fuck? And anyway, it turns out this one friend was, you know, he had to invite two friends to come along to youth. We all know the story of how this happens. Mm -hmm. And I lost my shit. Like I was just like having a bit of a meltdown and my my now partner has never been a Christian. Um, she's she's familiar with church circles. She's been to, been to church, but she's actually more an agnostic slash, slash atheist. So she thought I was overreacting. It's just like, hey, give this kid a break. I said, no, this is how they draw them in. This is how they actually get them involved in this stuff. And mm -hmm. I said to, to him, look, it's your choice in the end, but I need to tell you how tonight is going to work. You're not going to hear the name of Jesus once tonight. Let me promise you. Tonight's going to be fun. You have a bunch of kids just all hang, hanging out and it'll just feel like a bit of a party. But I guarantee you next time you go back, it'll be a bit different. This was a Thursday night or a Wednesday night. I said next time it'll be a Saturday. Next time it'll be some sort of other event and you will see it creep in. I said, so I just need you to be aware of that before you go, but absolutely go if, if that's what you want to do. And did they go? They did. And um, didn't really want to talk about it too much when he came back, except to say, I'm not going to go back. He said, I've done it. And uh, I went along and, yeah, I because um, I, I, I did actually put this kid on the spot who'd invited him. And I said to him, hey, can I ask you if my my stepson doesn't go, or, or he doesn't believe in Jesus, does that mean he's going to go to hell? Like, is this what you believe? And he said, uh, no, no, I don't think he's going to go to hell. And I didn't dig any deeper. I just went, oh, okay, so he doesn't need to be part of your group. That's okay then. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> I just left it. Wow. I think a lot of um, parents can relate to what you're talking about. And I do hear from people who are very concerned, also even that religious grandparents uh, will try and proselytize the children. So what we want to do from the time the children are little is to be encouraging critical thinking. So uh, if they go to grandma's and grandma puts on veggie tails, you know, then we're talking to the child about, oh, and can a, can a cucumber really talk? Do you think so? Let's get the cucumber out of the out of the fridge. What if we make a face on him? Can he talk? No, he can't talk. So so just helping them to see the difference between fact and fiction from the time they're little. And also we want to be reading creation myths to the children from all around the world and telling them everyone loves stories. And grandma and grandpa's favorite story is the Jesus story. But that's all anybody's religion is. It's just a story. So we want to <clears throat> kind of have them familiar with those ideas uh, by the time they are invited, say, to a youth event or something like that. So that when they, if they do go, if they want to go, uh, and I appreciate that you let him go, they have, um, they're not going in blind. 
they already have some understanding of critical thinking. And of course, we want to be encouraging our children. They can come to us with anything. They can ask us any question. And if we don't know the answer, we'll try and find it with them. And we're going to show them how they can look for accurate information and how they can tell the difference between uh, something on the internet that's true or something that's just uh, fancy but not true. So those are for anyone who's listening, who's raising kids, those are some things to think about. Janice, can I tell you, my son a couple of years ago came back from school and one of his friends was telling him, come along to my church. And of course he knew my backstory and he's like, oh dad, this is different. This is not like the one that you went to. I said, okay, what's it called? And he said the name of the church, it's X. And it's like, well, actually X was part of the Assemblies of God denomination. And what's the pastor's name? Oh, the pastor's name is this. Oh, he taught me in Bible college. He taught me this and that. Wow. Da, da, da. And then my son also, his friend gave him an NIV study Bible and it came and oh God, it triggered me. And, and it came yeah. into the house and it was like, I used to have two of those exactly like that one when i was in the revival center and one and later on that i bought when i was in the assemblies of god and it was just really interesting that his friend was saying oh it's nothing like that and then when my son came home and said it's nothing like that i could actually name everybody that's involved my interactions with those and it was entirely identical to what Mm -hmm. i had been involved in and then in the end he didn't go i said to him i said you can go but i'll come with you and i'll sit next to you because i was going to be sitting there going you know, and now they're going to do this, and now they're going to do that. What do you think about this? That's what I would have been doing for him. But interestingly enough, now his friend no longer goes and no longer believes. Wow. And I think not not necessarily because of our influence, but I just think it's really interesting that it's not just about the kids that are being recruited. It's the kids that are in there that are being sent Mm -hmm. on this mission, Mm -hmm. and they don't really – necessarily have, have arrived at any position themselves and yet they're being sent out as as minions it's it's, it's terrible right I, I i think it's also uh something i wish they would be teaching this in schools in regular uh high schools um so since they're not teaching it's up to us to um help our kids become familiar with uh coercive control and mind control and ways that beliefs form and how people and groups will try and influence us to adopt their belief system or, you know, watch watch the news with your teenager or read an article about uh, someone from Great Britain or Australia or Canada who got sucked into the ISIS uh, militant Islamic uh, cult. That, that kid started out just regular like all kids start out, they were radicalized at some point. So it really behooves us as parents to talk with our kids and teach them about uh, radicalization and about different things that groups will use. Of course, music first comes to mind for anyone who's been in a Pentecostal church that got some great music there. And of course, Hillsong um, was a big deal. Uh, So just letting the kids know that that's one of the ways that the pastor can control the mood uh, in the in the auditorium is through music and through dimming the lights and through speaking in a hushed tone and just the different ways that they have of manipulating people. Yeah, they're good at it. 
There's there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's a formula that's worked very, very well and mm-hmm. it's worked well for a long time and it's scaled. It's certainly coming undone to a certain degree, I think, at the moment and they're trying to save it. It'll be interesting to see what happens next because these guys, are they're, they're masters at marketing. So it will be a, a rebranding, I would imagine. There'll be other ways that they they bring people in and, I mean, the reality is they give people community. We've spoken about that a few times. And there's a lot of vulnerability. And particularly post-COVID, there's people looking for sense-making and belonging. And mm. if they're smart, they'll tap into that. And I'm sure they have already. And they'll mm. capitalise on the loneliness and the, the people wandering, I guess, at the moment. Right. And this is um, another reason that people um, come to see me through my private practice is uh, sometimes they have a spouse who has fallen down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole. And so religions, cults, conspiracy theories, they they all offer um, certainty, security, order, and the big one, acceptance. And they offer all those things and they tie them up with a bow. So they offer simple solutions for complex problems, which we know just isn't, isn't a real thing. It's, that's not how it works. But people are so desperate to understand the world in a chaotic time and to feel some sense of security in a chaotic time. And this is how people get sucked into those groups. No one joins a cult. People join a good thing. They join a great community. They they never actually join a cult. And so if people want to learn more, uh, I suggest that they read some of the books by Dr. Yanya Lalich or Dr. Steve Hassan. Uh, Rick Allen Ross also has uh, some great books and website on the topic. So I'll put, have some of those links in the show notes. Um, but it really is good for everybody to be aware of tactics that the different groups use. I'm curious for you guys in Australia, we've seen um, all sorts of documentaries here about Hillsong and how it's coming apart at the seams and scandals. Aren't people aware of that in Australia or are they just ignoring it? Oh, of course, of course. It's very much front of mind here. More recently, we had the the Hillsong well, the Brian Houston trial mm-hmm. for his covering up of his father's pedophilia when he was the head of the Assemblies of God. So, I mean, that's the other thing. When we talk about, people say we were ever in Hillsong. Well, yes and no, because when we were in the Assemblies of God, the Houstons were very much high flyers in the Assemblies of God movement and Hillsong as as a group was still a part of it. So, so you know, technically, no, we were never part of Hillsong. But what's happening in in this in this country now is, of course, all those international documentaries we're getting. We've also got a series of a local documentaries as well, which brings a sort of a, a uniquely Australian lens on top of this. And I'm sure some of those uh, are available internationally. I, I think Australians are sort of looking at this and going, yeah. What did you expect? You know, it's it's this televangelist-style religion and, you know, you sort of expect it to happen. But what I think is interesting from a church's perspective is, and this is what I saw in the Duggars Shiny Happy People documentary, is it's not the system that's broken, it's that someone goes rogue until the next person goes rogue and then the next person goes rogue. And as I've pointed out before, in the 80s it was, 
you know, Jim and Tammy Baker and Jimmy Swaggart. Mm-hmm. And then now it's, you know, Brian Houston and Bill Hybels and Yonggi Cho and all these other people that have fallen. It's always that the men eventually go rogue. It's never any look back at, is this system flawed? Is this system so so broken that it's constantly fostering these people, that there's no true accountability, that, you know, touch not the Lord's anointed, all that sort of talk, that it just allows rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And we're interviewing one of the documentary, Australian documentary makers more recently on our pod, and I made this point, and he said to me, well, time will tell whether that's going to happen. And and I thought to myself, I didn't say it at the time, but I'll say it now, time has already told. Mm -hmm. Time has told again and again and again. And so the pattern of behaviour is not that these men go rogue, it's that the system allows for this sort of carry-on. And that's why I have no problem using the word cult when I think about these these religions. And, and we can, you know, define that word any way we want. And if you want to say high control group, et cetera, fine, go ahead. But it's just a, it's a matter of extremes. It's not a matter of type. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah, totally, uh, totally agree. Yeah, that, that Duggar documentary, Shiny Happy People, um, has made a really big splash in the religious trauma recovery community um, over here, that's for sure. And I've heard from a lot of people who have felt quite triggered uh, by watching the show. And I think that the patriarchal mindset that really goes in with Christian churches, that leads to narcissistic, that breeds narcissistic behavior in the in the man it certainly can and then when we have the other side of it that uh, you're supposed to turn the other cheek you're supposed to be meek and submissive you're not supposed to carry anger you're supposed to forgive 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 i hate that i tell my clients that forgiveness is the f word because it can be weaponized by predators what we need to do is accept what has happened like that this my reality is that this thing happened to me then then we're into a point of power that we can decide what we want to do from there forward. But I have a lot of people come to me who are really tangled up because, well, I'm supposed to forgive and I just can't. Why can't I forgive? Don't worry about forgiveness. That's a religious uh, idea, religious connotations. Focus instead on acceptance. But my original point was that uh, predators can just swoop in and thrive in churches where patriarchy uh, and submission are expected. And that's what happens. Yeah, we see it time and time again, don't we? It's just, and, and I'm, I mean, maybe I'm do, being too graceful, but I think sometimes because the system is just so self-perpetuating, I'm not even sure that most people know what they're doing. I think systemically they're potentially caught up and just don't know what they're doing. I think it comes to a point where you can't have that excuse anymore and you have to have that self-reflection where you employ it in a way that you really should should know. But I, I think at the start people just get so swept into it. And I know that my own ex- experience and Troy's was potentially the same is you get caught up in that the pastors are put on a pedestal. So you want to be a pastor. You want to be someone who's leading not just to yeah, make a difference or save souls or whatever. 
you want to be recognised. You want to be, um, you know, someone who is looked up to. And I think people just get drawn into that and they they maybe shut off unconsciously from the stuff that they should know and there's an expectation of what you should know as a human. But you shut it off because the end goal is I'm going to be a pastor or I'm going to be a leader or I'm going to be an evangelist or I'm going to be fucking rich because some of these guys make a lot of money. I think it I think it appeals to the worst in us, you know, like they used to say to us in in church, oh, you got to watch out for the gold, the girls and the glory, right? These are the three things that will eventually bring you down. But I think that's there from the very beginning and it's, you know, it's attention, it's status, it's power, it's even, you know, a livelihood which may turn into sort of, you know, greed and and money and things like that. But all those things were appealing to me. But it's interesting, I think a lot of that is there in terms of humanity in general, and and I work for a a multinational now, and there are checks and balances in place to make sure that nobody is abusing the system, or at least not visibly. And yet those those don't exist in the church because we've got the Holy Spirit, because we are God's people, because God anoints us. All those things mean we don't need to put those things in place. And you can understand why. Sorry to go on a rant here, but you can understand why. Because if they put those things in place, they are declaring that it's about humanity. And when they do that, where is your God? And mm-hmm. I think that's really one of the main reasons. And that's where we can see that this is a flawed system, not mm-hmm. about people going rogue. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. I, I have a question for you guys. When you left, when you divorced religion, what did you do uh, as far as meaning and purpose, because when we're in, when we're really invested in our uh, church belief system and our religion, that's our purpose to to go into the world and make disciples. So then, when people leave, a lot of times they are in depression, they are suffering existential angst, and they they say they have no purpose. Their life has no meaning anymore. Was that an issue for you guys? And what did you do about it? Look, it wasn't for me, and I think it's what we alluded to near the start of the conversation, that Troy and I left very differently. So mine was a a long, drawn-out process where it died an incredibly slow death and relatively painless. Like, it was... It was something I was I was aware of. I wouldn't have called it deconstructing, but I was certainly aware of what I was doing to deconstruct. Um, mm-hmm. I would would have just called it questioning my beliefs or whatever. But I'd replaced, uh, I think, long ago, my need for a god or a higher power or whatever with the fact that. I'd realised I wanted to become a pastor early on because I just wanted to work with people and I just wanted to help people. So I went back to university, did a, a social work degree and became a social worker. So my purpose was very much pegged on, um, you know, justice certainly around uh, one of the areas of interest that I had and was passionate and still do is about recognition of First Nations people in Australia. So I really got involved in that. I also got involved in, uh, there's a, a social justice group that's connected with the Christian community in Australia, but it's it's very, um, 
very loosely connected in some sort of ways. It's certainly around the justice principles of Jesus and Bible and stuff like that, but very rarely would you talk about it. So for me, that was unoffensive as I was moving away. So I think I found my purpose before I moved away. I certainly had friends outside of the church network before I moved away, and I probably unconsciously did that and it was something that I was creating a safety net so it was once the the I guess the point for me though when I finally left was an opportunity I took I got divorced so my um my marriage broke down as a result I took that opportunity to then leave that church community and not go back to a church again so and I haven't to this day so Again, it was. I just took that point. I left, but I'd I'd prepared the road out, so it was a safe place for me. Hence, nice. I don't really hold on to a lot of trauma. I rarely get traumatized when I think about my journey. I see a lot of good in it as well. I I learned a lot of things in the church. I I certainly learned to communicate. I learned to lead, or probably honed my skills in leadership. I, I definitely, it, it gave me a confidence, whether it was a false confidence or not, it was a confidence when, that then I, I built upon that confidence. So there's lots of good stuff, I think, that I drew out of it. And because of that, I don't look back on it necessarily as a total train wreck. There was, mm-hmm. there was definitely car crashes little along the way, but it wasn't a complete train wreck. Whereas wow. Troy, I'll, I'll hand over, I'll hand over to Troy because because <laughs> we do have different experiences and we have been friends for over thirty years, so we know wow. each other's experiences as well, mm-hmm. and we've been there um, throughout many of these times. But Troy, yeah, we've lay in the dark and listened to Carmen together, haven't we? Oh. Carmen being the, the Christian megastar, not, yes. not the opera. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because and and we have, by the way. There's a backstory to that. But I think I, for me it was more like a cliff face. For me it was mm. more sort of holding on, and maybe this speaks to my own psychological imbalance at the time, but it was like I was holding on, holding on until I couldn't hold on anymore and then I just sort of fell off the cliff face. And so I, I didn't ease out like Brian did. And I think for me being the zealot, as we've sort of already established, purpose was everything. And meaning was absolutely everything. And what greater purpose and meaning than actually serving God in possibly his best version of church and denomination, the Assemblies of God in Australia? I mean, it was, you know, Pentecostalism premium, to use tech language. I think what happened for me, though, in that was, and this is one thing that's come out in the podcast, is because community was so important to Brian, I think I was blinded to the fact of how important community was to me as well because it was all about purpose. And I was, when I left, I was so aware that I had lost my meaning and purpose. So when I went to the point, uh, reached a point of atheism, I actually had to look at, so where is the meaning? Where is the purpose? And I was I was conscious of this. This wasn't just something that I thought maybe, I, no, I had to replace meaning and purpose in my life. And so I, I realised that whilst there may, you know, what you call op- optimistic nihilism, nihilism, I, I realised that there may not be any ultimate purpose, but we can find purpose and we can find meaning. And I think 
one of the things that I did, I threw myself into my work at times. Um, and as I said, I work for a, a multinational and there's a lot of Kool-Aid to drink if you want to, and you can sort of, you know, lose yourself in that. But I moved into a place working with um, technology with people with disabilities and I drew a lot of meaning from that. And I still do that. That's still a big part of what I do. Um, and I have created a practice in my job where it's the bulk of what I do, um, even though on paper, funny enough, are you ready for it? On paper, I'm a technology evangelist. That is literally <laughs> what, it's, what it says. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can't get away from the calling. The, what is it? The gift of gods are without repent. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, I find myself you know, knowing that I need this purpose, I, ne I need this meaning. So making the world a better place, making the world better for people, and, and it's tangible and it's real. But I think also the there's been numerous stages from me having left the Revival Centres, left the Assemblies of God and eventually leaving Christianity. There's been pockets of activism in this space, of wanting to do something meaningful to help people in this space as well. And so the podcast as well, I am not at any in any way naive or ignorant to the fact that this is giving me a lot of purpose and a lot of meaning. And as we joked, I think it was on our previous episode, that if I could win tats, if I could win the, the lottery, I would totally do this full time. I would. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen, and so I have to keep doing other things. Um, but yeah, that's 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 what I what I do. I think this podcast has also shown me that the community thing was in fact important, even though it was sort of masked by the the purpose. So, like Brian, I have been aware of sometimes my my need for community not being met or maybe even a previous addiction to community that needs to be sort of addressed so so that goes on as well so so selbs i think there's been a whole lot of these sort of issues that ha i have been working with through in the last 20 something years and it, and it, and it ebbs and it flows you know there's been times where mm -hmm. it's it's confronting, it's traumatizing, and I have to deal with it then and there. And there's other times where, it, it, you know, I, I can sort of be in air quotes a little bit more normal and put it down, but never mm -hmm. do I put it down forever. I think it's part of who I am. It's made me who I am. And I think I'll be the zealot and the activist probably till the day I die. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. I really appreciate you guys speaking with such candor and sharing about um, the experiences you've had and and your thoughts as you look back on it. And we're talking about meaning. Um, I tell people now that the the meaning of life is to give life meaning. It's it's up to each of us. So we move from being meaning seekers into meaning makers and that's part of what you were just talking about right now and i agree the podcast uh doing podcast work it does feel like a form of activism it is helping people who tune in so i hope that you get some new listeners uh from this episode of the divorcing religion podcast and it was a real delight for me also to be invited to uh, join you on teenage fundamentalist thank you so much it's just been such a pleasure it's it's been a wonderful chat and we hope that not only do you get more listeners from us and we get from you that your listeners start referring to you as selbs or jano <laughs> um because if there's anything any legacy we can leave 
as Australians <laughs> is to bastardize someone's name. That's what we do. It's, it's as I said, it's what we do. So I, I get called, my name is Brian, and I get called Briza because people can't even just say Brian. <laughs> <laughs> And, and your, surna- your surname's McDowell, so you must get Macca at some time. Macca, all the time, Macca. So. Yeah, there you go. Matter of yeah. fact, Selbs, we, in Australia, we call McDonald's Maccas. And, and even, even the, the, the brand itself calls itself Maccas in its advertising and things like that in Australia, yeah. So like Americans wow. sometimes say Mickey D's, we say Maccas and, and it's there. But can I say something to you, Janice, and that is we – We've heard your name many times. Daryl Ray uh, re- flagged your name to us when we interviewed him. Others have flagged your name. And it's just really good to connect with you. And, you know, if we're going to be activists, let's be activists together. So yeah. so let's continue to 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 be in touch and, and work together and, and do some really good things because we hear awesome things f- about what you're doing, you know, with your, with your counselling, with your conferences, with your workshops, and, you know, we just want to – say kudos to you thank you so much i feel so seen it's wonderful Uh, connecting with you guys and i'd love to keep the connection going thanks so much and i want to thank you all for tuning in today to the divorcing religion podcast take care everyone 